in our series, Eight Steps to a New You. I'm going to give you step one today. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These eight steps to a new you aren't a new and improved model. It's not, you know, adding a little polish to what you've already got. It's not adding a new skill or, or adding some new learning or, uh, you know, some kind of, you know, improved surgery or something. No, this is real transformation. This is becoming a real different person, a new you, totally. The Bible says that when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, the old is gone, the new has come. You're a new creation. And how do we become that new you? Well, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, the very first words of the Sermon on the Mount, he gave us eight steps to becoming that new you. And in the last episode, uh, episode 20, we talked about happiness and joy and the difference between the two. That word blessed comes up every single time, blessed, blessed, blessed. And it doesn't mean happy. Happiness depends on what happens, the circumstances, that you have sun shining and you're happy. It's raining, you're not happy. Maybe you like rain, and if it's raining, you're happy, and if it's sunshining, you're not happy. If uh, uh, your stock, stocks look good, you're happy. If it goes down, you're not happy. Well, Christians don't like the rain, and their stocks go down. The joy doesn't depend on what happens. The joy is deep inside, and no matter what happens, no matter what, good stock market, bad stock market, sunshine or rain, doesn't matter. The joy is still complete inside because your joy is rooted in God and God is consistent. He never changes. He always loves us. He's always there. He's always faithful. He's always merciful. So we're blessed. So that's the difference. So in Matthew 5, Jesus says these things to the disciples and to many, many who gathered around him. And he said this, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Over and over and over, blessed. Now there's eight, eight things there, eight phrases that Jesus says, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. And there's an order that, that makes sense and that has to be in this order to grow into the new you. And the first step is to be poor in spirit. So we've got to understand what does it mean? It's the very, very first step. If we don't understand poor in spirit, then we don't understand anything else and we can't progress anywhere else. So first, what does poor in spirit mean? It doesn't mean just poor. We focus on that word poor when we see that phrase poor in spirit. God never says anything about not having wealth. He does say that money can cause all kinds of problems, greed, selfishness, jealousy, envy, But when under control, money is a powerful resource that God delights in giving to people so that they can be faithful and bless others. But he's not saying, blessed are you, oh, the joy you have when you have no money. He's saying, oh, the joy you have when you are poor in spirit. So let's figure out what this means. Let's go back to the word poor and find out what that means. Then we'll connect it to the word spirit. Well, there's two words that are used in the New Testament a lot about poor. One is called penes, and that word means nothing extra. It's the working man's wage. He's poor, 
but he's making it. He's paying his bills, but he's got nothing left after the bills are paid. When Sandra and I first moved to Cupertino, we were living in a little one-bedroom apartment. We had 600 bucks in the bank, and I was making $125 a week. We were poor, but we were making it. That's not the word that's used here. Jesus uses a different word called tokos, and it means absolute, abject poverty, nothing, like zero, nothing, beaten down to the knees, cowering in poverty. Think, think about, about it this way. Think if you were dropped from a helicopter in the middle of the desert with no supplies of any kind, naked, that's poor. You've got nothing. No paycheck, no savings, no coins, no clothes, no house, no nothing. That's the word, absolute destitution. That's poor. Now, poor in spirit, what does that mean? It means that we come to God without any sense of deserving his grace. When it comes to spiritual worth, we've got nothing. We don't look at God and say, well, yeah, you know, I'm kind of a good person. God will accept me as I am. Well, then you're not poor in spirit. It's the, the poor in spirit person realizes they are worthless in getting anything from God. If you've ever said, well, I've done lots of good things in my life. They outweigh the bad things I've done. Then you're not poor in spirit. If you've said, I'm not that bad. I've never murdered anybody or cheated on my wife. How bad is bad anyway? Then you're not poor in spirit. If you've ever said, well, I go to church, that ought to count for something, then you're not poor in spirit. If you think there is anything that you have or have done that would count as kind of spiritual equity, then you're not poor in spirit. The Bible says there is no one righteous, not even one. No one does good. Means That means we're all in serious trouble. We're all broken and lost and without anything that would cause God to respond to us. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means we look to God and say, God, I've got nothing. I have no hope. I have no redeeming qualities. I have no reason in me that would make you accept me. You realize your sinful state. But then it says, blessed is the person who is poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Why is this person so blessed? Well, it's crucial to understand this because that's the person who sees himself the way God sees him. He's no longer lying to himself about his own goodness. He's no longer looking at himself and saying, well, I'm okay, when he's really not okay. He realizes there is nothing good in him and that there is no way that he can measure up to God's perfect standard. When we're self-assured and thinking we're good enough Uh, and God should accept us as we are, that is a gross overestimation of our own goodness and a gross underestimation of God's holiness. The poor in spirit person sees himself the, the way God really sees him. Yet, God is gracious and always merciful when we're poor in spirit. And that's why we're blessed. Because you see, when we cry for mercy, God's love always meets us. When we're poor in spirit and we cry out, God always runs to us. That's why we're blessed when we're poor in spirit. Luke chapter 7, 36 to 50 tells a story about a sinful woman, probably a prostitute, who was in the house of Pharisees, or rather, Jesus was in the house of Pharisees, and he was invited by them. And while he was there, 
this prostitute woman came into the area where they were eating. And in those days, there were open courtyards. People could come in and go. There weren't locked doors or anything. While they're there, she kneels behind Jesus and begins to weep, drenching his feet with her tears. She, has, she begins to take her hair and unravels it and begins to wipe the tears from off of his feet. And then she breaks open a jar of expensive perfume and begins to perfume him. Now, this is crucial. This is significant because customarily when any guest would come into a home, there were three things that were done to that guest. One, that the dusty feet from the roads would be washed off by one of the servants. So the washing comes first. Then the welcome kiss would come second. It would greet them. And then the anointing with perfume to have a nice smell for dinner. And when Jesus came into the house, the Pharisees did not wash him. They did not welcome him with a kiss. They did not perfume him. Yet this woman comes in. She drenches his feet with her tears, washing him. She kisses his feet, wiping them with her hair. And then she anoints him with perfume. She did all the things from a poor in spirit place that the Pharisees did not do for him in a place of self-righteousness. And he reminded them, when I came into your house, you didn't wash me. You didn't kiss me. You didn't anoint me. But this sinful woman who was poor in spirit, she came in, washed me with her tears, kissed my feet, and poured a jar of perfume on me. She was desperate. And because she was desperate, Jesus forgave her. His mercy responded to the person who's poor in spirit. Foolish is the one who has nothing, but has convinced himself that he has the ability to reach the kingdom of heaven on his own. This is really the whole of the matter. Our world is made up of people, all broken, tattered, just a mess. But when there is no one else who isn't broken and tattered, then all you have is broken and tattered people, and that becomes the norm. When that's the norm, then people decide, well, which type of broken and tattered is the best way to be broken and tattered? It's certainly better to be broken and rich. It's better to be tattered while convincing yourself that you're self-sufficient. It's better to be lost and give the impression that you know exactly where you are. Well, here I am out in the woods somewhere. I don't have a clue where I am, but I know I'm right here. And you can convince others that you somehow have a self-realization that they don't have because they don't know where they are when really they're just being honest and you're not. We're all broken, helpless, and lost. We're all distant from God. And none of us has an ability to claim anything that would cause God to come to us and save us. We'll compete and compare deceiving ourselves that there's actually a best way to be broken, helpless, and lost. Then Jesus comes on the scene and he models for us what it means to be whole, fulfilled, and clear about where he's going. And what this did was made people respond in two different ways. One way was like the prostitute woman. The other way was like the Pharisees. To those who would admit they were broken, broken, helpless, and lost, they wanted Jesus and he welcomed them into life with him. Therefore, they're blessed, and theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But to those who are at the top of the broken, helpless, and lost heap, that their brokenness was revealed for what it was. But rather than admit it, 
They fought against wholeness and fulfillment and life clarity, and they worked to kill Jesus because he made them feel broken, helpless, and lost, which is exactly what they were. But they didn't want to admit it because they were at the top of the heap. Why did people like the late Christopher Hitchens write statements like this? God doesn't exist and I hate him. Because if you can kill God, you won't feel bad anymore. Now, the person's still broken, but at least he's able to pacify himself and make himself feel that he isn't as broken as the next guy. There's no one else to compare to. And comparisons to God or to others is how we measure ourselves. It's who we compare ourselves to that matters. We are called to be like Jesus. So the comparisons with others disappear, and the comparison with God is the only comparison that matters. It determines That really determines whether we're just a believer or a disciple. The poor in spirit person has, presently possesses the kingdom of heaven. You know God. How? Because you're poor in spirit. You realize you've got nothing and you realize who the God is, who is whole. And you cry out, Lord, have mercy on me. And the grace of God always does. How do you know you're poor in spirit? It all starts with honesty. Are you a part of his life? I admit that I don't know God and I'm helpless to do anything about it. That's a first good statement. You're poor in spirit if you can admit that, that I don't know God and I'm helpless to do anything about it. You're poor in spirit if you are willing to humble yourself and ask for his mercy. You're poor in spirit if you are constantly amazed that God would love you. And you're poor in spirit if you want to praise God with your whole life for what he's done for you. That's why. Blessed is the person who is poor in spirit because they get who they really are in the sinful and horrible lost state they're in and they know who to cry out to, the God who loves them and that God runs to them. This, This beatitude, this statement could easily be rephrased like this. Oh, the joy when you understand that you are broken, helpless, and lost and that makes you reach out to God for help And he always comes to the rescue. He always does. Isn't that a good one? Let's memorize this one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Commit that to memory. Instead of doing a roadmap, let's just leave it at that. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I hope today that you will fall on your face before the Lord and cry out to him in mercy, knowing that there's nothing you can do to gain his love except to say, help me. And when you do, he will help. He's the God who runs to you. That's good stuff today, y'all. God bless you. Love you. And uh, let's cry out to Jesus. He's our Savior.